Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Don Martin from the Grad School Roadmap on the show with us. Um, he has been Dean of Admissions at three of the top graduate schools in the country, and uh, Dr. Martin, or Don, uh, I would love if you could uh, just give us a little bit more about your background and, and why you're so passionate about this field. Uh, Tyler, absolutely, by all means, feel free to call me Don, and I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today about something that is near and dear to my heart, and as you said, it's a passion of mine. My background, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I fell into higher education administration right out of college as an admissions counselor, and I fell in love with this work and never left. And that was 43 years ago. Of course, I was only 10 when I started. <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, I've absolutely loved the field. For 28 of those 43 years, I worked full-time in the area of graduate enrollment and student services with primary stints, if you will, at the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, the Chicago Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago, and then at Teachers College at Columbia. During that 28 years, I evaluated just over 125,000 applications myself. I don't say that to boast, but rather to let our audience know that what I'll be sharing with you today is based on that 28-year period of time in this amazing work. And then in 2008, I wrote my book, Roadmap for Graduate Study, founded Grad School Roadmap to hopefully take my message of some important things that I didn't believe all prospective students or many of them were finding out or really thinking about before they applied and take that to a larger audience. So for the last 15 years, I've had that privilege and it has been just that. I love what I do uh, and I, I have had the opportunity, I believe, to help many students along the way and I'm hoping that this chat with you today will uh, give some more individuals some additional information to think about. Yeah, and I'm really excited for this conversation today because what we're going to be discussing is um, the biggest mistake that any prospective graduate student will ever make. And I, I think you should just take it from here. What is that mistake? What it is, yeah, well, let me just say, Tyler, that throughout my career, both while I was in full-time higher ed and when I left and started Grad School Roadmap, in every presentation I've ever made, every blog I've ever written, every podcast I've done or webinar, whatever it is, this has been a critical part and usually starts off my presentation. That's how important I believe it is. The biggest mistake mm -hmm. most all prospective students make, whether they live in the U.S., whether they live abroad, whatever their age, whatever the field of study, doesn't matter. This, the mistake is the same. Seven words. Not doing adequate research, here's the key word, before they apply. Most prospective students in the years that I have been working with them have tended to make decisions primarily based on just two sources of information. First, a ranking, and second, word of mouth. Now, I want to be very clear here at the start. I'm not suggesting that these two 
resources are useless or should never be looked at at all. But I am suggesting that in terms of rankings, they are so misleading, they are so offensive on so many levels. And in case mm -hmm. of word of mouth, that's just someone else's opinion. This is your education. If I, I, When I say your, I'm talking to our audience of prospective students. This is your education. It's your life. It's your choices. And to allow yourself to be unduly influenced by those two resources alone, in my opinion, is a huge, huge mistake. Yeah, and so tell me a little bit about why you're not super thrilled with like rankings, right? I think it's just important context because I think that's where everybody starts when they're when they they're do. making when they're doing their research. It's the first thing that they do, right? They, they you know, I'll, I'll tell you a very quick story. When I would represent, whether it was Northwestern, University of Chicago, Columbia, same thing happened uh, at, at a graduate school fair or a graduates, you know, uh, admissions event. I'd have folks come up to my display table and they were holding a ranking in their hand. And there could have been 75 institutions represented at that event that night. They were only going to go to the top five. They weren't even going to look <laughs> anywhere else and give those other institutions the time of day. Mm -hmm. How sad. Right. Um, the reason I have such a problem with rankings is that first of all, there are three to 4,000 accredited institutions in the United States alone, not to mention others around the world, but just in, in this country. And I find it baffling and extremely counterintuitive to think, for someone to think that there are only, what, five or 10 universities worth considering when they're getting ready to go to grad school. That just, that doesn't make any right. sense. Right. And so to me, that's where rankings do a disservice. They also, if you study their methodology about how they do what they do, many of them are not even correct from a statistical standpoint. If you're, if you are someone who does statistical analysis, you'll quickly discover that they're not valid. And secondly, they, they end up giving this impression that the, you know, there's only 20 schools you should think about. And thirdly, a lot of things are kept out of these rankings that, in my opinion, are critical. How, do you, how are you treated by the admissions office? How are you treated by the faculty? Did the staff treat you well? What, did you, how, what are the facilities really like? Did they, do, they, did, do they really want you there? How do they treat you? None of that is included in these rankings. And it's to me, mm -hmm. that's why, to me, they're an absolute disservice more than they ever are a service. Right. And so tell me a little bit more also about how, um, you know, we're talking about sort of building your list and doing adequate research and the rankings, you know, they're, they kind of have a certain perspective. They also skew the way that, that people do things. To me, I feel like the rankings are really a case of like the rich getting richer, right? Because essentially one of the key rankings uh, metrics is how many people uh, you accept out of the total number of applicants. And if you're at the top of the list, that means you're going to have more applicants, which means your acceptance rate will be lower, which means you're at the top of the list. Um, and then there's also the admittance or the, the I forget ex the exact word of this, but it's basically when you admit somebody, do they come? Uh, yeah, got it. So the enrollment yield, similarly, if you're a top school, 
you are going to have people be if you're high on the list and people think the list is what matters people are more likely to enroll when you accept them which then increases your enrollment yield which also puts you at the top of the list right so it's sort of a self-perpetuating system that keeps you know the same schools up there year after year well you're absolutely right and and to me is that is that what you're looking is that how you want to decide if an institution is successful just because they get so many applications or because so many of those that apply or get admitted decide to go i i, I don't that to mm -hmm. me doesn't mean very much at the end of the day i'm not i'm not going to be sitting in that classroom ruminating about oh this enrollment yield was 80 percent. isn't that wonderful that doesn't it doesn't mean anything at the end of the day that means absolutely nothing what what to me should be most important to you is the idea that look you're probably going to do this once in your life i don't know of too many people mm -hmm. who have five and ten master's degrees they just keep doing it that's, <laughs> no i haven't met too many who've done choose i i have a master's and i have a phd i did one one each and you know what Tyler, they were two of the best experiences of my entire life. My master's degree mm -hmm. was from an institution that was not very highly ranked. My PhD was from Northwestern, which does have a fairly good name, but within the program I was in, it was not ranked as highly. I did not make the decision about where to go because of how highly ranked. There are other things that are far more important, and that's, and, and that's what you should be thinking about. In, uh, when I was a dean of students, I, I was all, I was dean of admissions and became dean of students at the Booth School of Business at Chicago and also at Columbia, which meant I held open office hours where students could come in and speak with me. For They didn't have to make an appointment. They could just come in during that time, and I'd meet with as many as I could. It was so sad to me, the number of students from mm -hmm. these institutions, mind you, who would come in and say, I hate it here. This was the worst decision I ever made. I'm leaving. I want my money back. It was awful. And, I, mm -hmm. you know, this it, 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 it was so sad to me that there was there probably one shot at a master's and they were so unhappy. On the contrary, my two my two experiences, two year master's, six year Ph.D. were absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Now, I have no idea to do a third one. <laughs> but but I, I I absolutely would if I had it to do over again I would do both of those they changed my life and it, it was right. such an incredible experience that's what you're looking for when you're doing your research right so yeah let's talk about that then because um, you said adequate research right and I think that you know so we we hear you loud and clear that rankings is not adequate research by itself but what are the components of adequate research that are missing well. Not, I'm not trying to promote my book at all, but I will say one of the reasons I wrote it and one of the reasons for founding Grad School Roadmap was because of what's in Chapter 1. That's the whole, whole Chapter 1 is completely devoted to the research process. And in that chapter, mm -hmm. I list 26 different areas you should be comparing amongst your options. I also suggest that you start off with, if you're going for a master's degree, maybe 15 to 20 options at a minimum to start with. And then from there, you narrow it down. Most master's students apply to on an average of maybe between five and seven institutions at the end. But you don't start there. That's where you should end up after you've done your research. Uh, in another uh, presentation I do, I actually have a slide of 45 
different areas to compare. But here are a couple. I would mm-hmm. say create a spreadsheet, list your options, how, wherever you want to put them, on the left-hand column or on the, on the top, whatever. And then on the other column, here are some things you should absolutely, as a first-tier type of research, you should be doing. And they are connect with a current student or recent graduate, at least one of these from each institution, at least one. And there are two Mm -hmm. questions you should ask them. First, what do you or did you like most and least about this program? They should be able to answer both of those. There's no perfect institution out there. So they need Mm -hmm. to be able to answer that for you. And please implore them to be honest with you. Ask them, please tell me the truth. I'm not going to quote you. I'm not going to say anything. I just, you know, I'm thinking about this program and I'd be curious to know your thoughts. And then the second question, almost more important than the first, is knowing what you now know about this program, about this institution, if you had it to do over again, is this where you would go or would you have gone somewhere else? I've had clients do this, Tyler, some of my coaching clients, and at least 70% of the time, at least 7 out of 10, completely reorganize their priority list after they've done just this, just this. So that's the first. Secondly, what you want to do is you want to reach out to the admissions office and actually, I'm going to say it, there's an ulterior motive for doing this. You're going to test them. They're not going to know it, but that's what you're doing. You're going to te- you're going to send a message to every admissions office of the schools that are on that list. You will be amazed at the variation of responses you'll get. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's fascinating to watch how these institutions respond. Um, and what you want to ask are two questions again. Two questions of them. First, how do you evaluate applications? You could go so far as to say, do you have cutoffs when it comes to the academic portion of the application? My grade, my GPA, my test scores. Uh, Ask them. You could even give them your grades and test scores. Did you know the higher the rank of the institution, the more likely they are going to institute cutoffs and do so at the very beginning of the evaluation process, not at the end? They'll take your application for which you spent hours preparing essays getting recommendation letters, transcripts, resume, all of this, and getting it all sent into them. If you don't have a certain GPA for some institutions or a certain test score, you're denied immediately. They don't look any further, but they were happy to take your money when you apply. That's it. Well, and happy to happy to have you pad their uh, it, or lower their acceptance rate stats. Yeah, that's it's exactly <laughs> right. In for many cases, at the higher the, the rank, oftentimes, This becomes an issue of just putting bodies in seats. They know they have enough applications. The customer service, as you go higher up the food chain, gets worse. I'm going to tell you right now. It does. Right. And uh, the second area, the second question for the admissions folks, very, also very telling, is may I, do do you, first, it would be kind of two parts of a question. Do you conduct student satisfaction surveys? That's the first one. And if they say if they say no, they'd be off my list immediately. They're not even they're happy to take your tuition dollars, which which they wouldn't be allowed to be operating without. But they don't even want to know how they did. That's to me dreadful. But the second question disqualifying. Yeah, it's very disqualifying. 
The second question on that, though, is if they say yes, then you want to say, may I see the two most recent surveys? Uh, Tyler, you and I know institutions love to promote themselves. And if they have, if they mm -hmm. do a survey and 90% of the student body says, you know, gives them a ranking of 8 out of 10, that will be plastered everywhere. They'll do a news release. They'll do this on their website. They'll be, it'll go in their admissions materials. So if they don't want to show you, if, if they do, if they don't do them, that's a bad, that's a red flag. If they do the surveys, but they're not willing to share them with you, that's another huge red flag. A final way to do some research on these institutions at what I might call the top tier level, the, the entry level part when you're first doing this for your spreadsheet, mm -hmm. is to do an internet search and find out if any of them have been in the news. Now, I happen to live in a neighborhood called Lakeview. Let's just say that there was a university here that I was interested in. I might go on to my internet browser and, and type in Lakeview University in the news or um, news related to Lakeview University in the past five years. It's amazing mm -hmm. what could come up for some of these institutions. Now, again, nobody's right. going to air their dirty laundry, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that they should. But you should know, you should know when you're buying a car, don't you want to check and find out what the track record is for safety, for mechanical breakdowns? Many people do a great search on that. Well, I would think similarly when you're talking your education, for which you're going to be spending a lot of time, thousands of dollars, you might be moving somewhere, uh, you would at least want to know uh, if if they're you know it, what's their safety record like? What what is mm -hmm. have they are they a, a law abiding institution for the most part? How does the community feel about having them there? There are things you ought to know. That's just scratching the surface. But these things alone, right. these, you know, contacting students and alumni, contacting admissions, doing an internet search. Nine out of ten uh, prospective students don't even do any of this, Tyler. That's crazy to me. I mean, and, and I think it's also so important that you are getting that feedback, like you said, of what how the organization treats people, right? Like that's kind of like, it's like the second degree of, of, of what you're doing when you're reaching out to them and asking them for their student survey data or whatever. But like, is this an, is this an organization where they're excited to have you, where they respond to emails quickly, where they kind of like care for lack of a better word about about you applying um and then the second piece of it that i think is just really important to reiterate to people is is that no schools may be ever going to admit that they have a hard cutoff right because the party line is that there is no such thing but they all do to an extent especially the top ones and you should definitely be researching what that cutoff looks like whether it's a GMAT or GRE score or a GPA or, you know, what program you came from, the, depending on which things you're applying to, that might be less relevant, right? Like business schools, it's a lot more about what you did after college. Um, but in general, if you're not hitting at least the 25th percentile, preferably you want to be at least average on the GRE, GMAT or executive assessment scores it might not even be worth your time and money to apply, right? You might be better served focusing on other places. And to your point, one way you can try and find this out, again, institutions may not always put it on their website, or if they don't put it on their website and they have it, they may not always be willing to send it. But you can. one of the things you might put on your spreadsheet to compare is 
what is the profile of the most recent incoming class? What does it look like? Some mm -hmm. programs will absolutely, they'll post that and they, they will update it every year. They'll, let's say this, is, this year we're in the, the, 20, the fall 2022, spring 2023 uh, academic year. So the institution's most recent entry level class profile would be for those who started in the fall of 2022. Uh, that's another mm -hmm. question you could if you can't find it on the website you could ask them may I see your your uh, uh, first year student profile your incoming student profile and see if they're willing to send that that will at least give you some idea of certain aspects of that incoming class um, but you know when when you ask them how they evaluate students Here's the answer you're looking for, Tyler. The answer you're looking for is we honestly are looking for students that we believe would be the best match for what we're looking for, what, what we have going here. And we do not, we have no cutoffs. We do not, every completed application is read in its entirety. When I went, I'm not going to say the name of the school, but when I went to one of the programs that I was dean of, uh, the other two, I, I don't, I get, well, I guess I did this at all three of them, come to, to think of it. We, we eliminated cutoffs, and we, I said, any applicant who completes their application, whatever's in that application, we're going to have the courtesy to review it. And right. when I made my admission decisions, the last thing I looked at were grades and test scores. The last thing, not the first thing. Now, uh, those familiar with the GMAT, uh, I admitted an applicant to one of the pro, well, I just probably let the cat out of the bag, but uh, to the Chicago Booth School of Business, I admitted a gen gentleman who had a 390 on his GMAT one year. Now, I didn't do this all over the place, but my point is, this guy was phenomenal. And I didn't tell my dean that about that score, but when he this guy graduated and had become a very, very important part of our community, the dean knew him very well. My first meeting with the dean after graduation, I took his file in and I said, I want to show you this. And I showed him the test score. He was baffled. I said, that's my point. If we just make decisions with cutoffs, what we are losing the opportunity to bring in some phenomenal individuals. Yeah, I love that story. And that's fantastic. And I, I think that really like that, that's such good tips you just covered on asking, you know, former students basically to give like a peer review, right? And certainly you'll learn some interesting things with that. And then asking, obviously, the admissions office both to kind of give you some data and also just to see kind of uh, a test on how they're going to respond to you. Now, let's say you've done that and you've kind of got your list together and you've maybe eliminated some schools that were jerks or that had bad peer reviews from certain students. Um, at that point, once you have that list, what are some other factors you should be thinking about when you're trying to kind of resort your own internal ranking? Great question. And Tyler, I'm going to just tack on one other quick thing, if I may, about reaching out oh, to yeah. students. Uh, where you can utilize your network or your friends' networks to find students or graduates from the schools you're considering, rather than going to the admissions office and asking them to give you names because they're going to give you names of students they're pretty sure are going to say all good things about them. If you can find right, students right. that were not recommended by admissions, but 
recently graduated or are currently there just through your family, your friends, your coworkers, you, they know people. That's ideally the kinds of students or graduates you want to reach out to. You will get a more honest assessment if you do that. Okay. Now, back right. to your question. So you've you've done your first out, you know, you've done your first uh, tier of research, shall we say, and now you've you started out with 20 schools, you're down to let's say 10 that you think are, are options, how do you whittle it down further? Well, here's a couple of what I might call second tier considerations, which at this stage would be very viable. I think the first could be the location of the institution. S some folks have right, a predisposition right. to want to study in a warmer climate or in a certain part of the country or a certain part of the world. They, they are more disposed to that than another uh, option. Another would be the campus facilities. Uh, have you taken at a minimum a virtual, almost every institution worldwide now conducts a virtual tour of the campus facilities? Do you know what you will be getting into? Um, if right, you right. are taking someone else with you or someone will accompany you or some, uh, some persons, a, a, a significant other, a spouse, perhaps children, where uh, do you know about safety in the community? Do you know if there are opportunities for that other person, uh, your your significant other, your spouse, your partner, to get it? Are there partner groups? Are there spouse? What what is, what do they do to to encourage the person who came along for this initiative? Um, what are the schools right, right. like in the area? What what type of of education? Do, do they offer? Those are things that I would say could be a secondary tier of um, research. But what, and, and here again, maybe once you've done all your upfront research, another question at this level is, do I feel that this place really would like me there? Do I, do I mm -hmm. get a feeling that they don't, that I'm not a, a disruption to their day? that I'm not a, a problem, that I've reached out to them and I'm taking their precious time. But rather, you know, one example, a, a student might reach out to an admissions office with a question. They get some standard pat response. It doesn't even say their name. Dear prospective student, thank you for contacting us. Our FAQs are over here. I mean, the, the, the <laughs> level of, I mean, how, how distasteful to me uh, to be treated like that, especially at the graduate level. This is these are folks that are perhaps going to be quitting jobs, relocating. You know, th th this is this is not your your 15, 16, and 17 year olds. It would be bad enough if it was them, but this this sense of how you are treated after you've reached mm -hmm. out and done some of this to me, that's something to because how they treat you now isn't going to change once you get there and they have your money. <laughs> they're not all of a sudden right. going to say, oh, we're just so delighted to have you. Not if that's not, if they were not treating you that beforehand, it's not going to change after you're there. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that also um, another thing that just in our like sort of prep we were talking about too is, you know, figure out who teaches the classes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Thank yeah. you. I, I, I'm so, Yeah. Did you know that in many, the higher up we go in the food chain of rankings, the more likely it is that faculty will not be teaching. There will be teaching assistants. And maybe some of them are good, but is that what you want? Or how is the curriculum taught? Do you know that? Is, is it 
going to be where you walk in and you're kind of spoken to or at, and that's it, and you just take notes and you do an exam? Or is there going to be more of an interactive approach in the classroom? Or are there going to be a bit more of a group approach to teaching where you might be assigned a study group for the entire? I, I had the latter two of those. I did not have usual lectures, some few classes, but I wanted something interactive. I wanted to be, and then I had an opportunity to be involved in study groups for some of my courses. It was wonderful. So yes, uh, that could either be your first tier or some secondary research. Good, very good point. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I mean, this has all been super helpful. And I, I think we've covered a lot of really important tips for, for prospective grad students here. I think the last bit um, that's just important to, to kind of retouch on here is that this is all time consuming and you should really be thinking about this and starting this process, preferably a year in advance. But give yourself enough time to do it properly because this is a, one of the sort of cornerstone decisions of your life. And you, you know, it's like where you go to college, et cetera, level of importance, and you only get one shot, basically. That's correct. That is, you know, th this isn't quite as life altering, perhaps, as choosing your marriage partner, but it's, to me, it's somewhat similar because you're only going to most likely do it well hopefully once in, in your right. life. But the point is, you don't go to a party and meet somebody and, and decide, oh, I, I, let's get married. I mean, that's just that would be so asinine to even think about. Whereas sometimes that's what somebody does. They, they say, I'm going to get a master's in biology. I'm going to go to these. I'm going to apply to these three schools. They know nothing about them. They've done no research. They're just highly ranked. And somebody they know went there. That's their whole means of research. It's so counterintuitive, Tyler. It's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's it's such an important thing and not something you should skip out on. Absolutely. Now, anything else as we uh, as we uh, close up this topic, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, I, I think the only other thing I'll say, and it's probably going to sound so naive, but uh, as those of you listening, as you think about your career, about what it is you where you want to spend your life and your time, the, the most important to me the most important question you want to be asking yourself is, you know, is, is this a career where I believe I will be fulfilled, that I will really be able to utilize my skills and be a, feel that at the end of the day, I'm, I'm of value in some way. I, I've met people who went after careers, many of them, for only reasons having to do with dollar signs or some sort of prestige factor. And I'm telling you, year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day, hour after hour, uh, if you don't love what you do, that can be a very, very difficult road to hoe. I absolutely love what I do. And believe me, the money wasn't a huge in the beginning. A ranking may open a few doors early on, but it absolutely, there's no credible, reliable, valid evidence anywhere that the ranking of an institution that you attend pr uh, promotes or determines your ultimate success in life. None whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So please, please take the time to do this important research. It will make a huge, huge difference. Thank you so much, Don. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Dr. Don Martin from Grad School Roadmap. Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free by visiting achievable.me and be sure to use the code podcast to save 10% if you like it.